Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Carlos Colazzo joining you for a Baseball America Draft Podcast. We are inundated with draft questions. We are inundated with the draft. I mean, we're not that far away. It is, it, it is amazing how quickly it goes from being early to late. Yeah, it does really it, does fly. I mean, because the, the, the entire month of January, we're kind of doing, we're doing preview content and we're getting excited for it. And at the end of that month, some junior colleges have started rolling, but really there's not a ton going on just because we're still waiting for it. And as soon as the season hits every year, it just, it seems like it flies. I mean, it's been two weeks of the Division One schedule. Uh, we've already heard about a ton of chatter, a ton of movement, uh, particularly with the arms. I mean, there are a lot of really good pitching pitch arms in this class. I mean, not even talking about the top 30 guys, but way down the board. There are some guys who are popping up. There are some guys who are just taking those next steps and improving. But yeah, you look up and it's like, okay, we're almost done with February. Then it's going to be into March. We're kind of in the middle of the draft process. And I mean, we only have like 100 days until the draft is here, which is crazy to think about. But this is the most fun time of year. It's, it's awesome talking with scouts and kind of figuring these guys out and putting this class together kind of right alongside the MLB scouting department. So it's fun. I, I will ask you with that. If the draft was moved back significantly, as there has been talk in a uh, proposed, uh, you know, new PBA or things like that, <laughs> is that a good thing for you or is that a bad thing? Well, I don't I mean, know. I think selfishly I think... for you, like it, it extends it. You get longer to work on it, but at the same time, so that's true. It, do it does make the marathon a little bit longer. But I think if we are gonna be moving the draft back, I would have to imagine it's shortened as well. So if that happens, I think it's a huge win because if we go to like twenty-five rounds, twenty rounds. I think that's one much more appropriate for the kind of players who are signing in the first place. And at that point, we might have rankings to cover the entirety of the draft. And I know you would be pumped about that. But there are a lot of logistics that would have to kind of resolve themselves if it moved back into August, I think, there's is the no month. Way, yeah, there's no way. The summer be... showcase circuit is blown up. The schedule is completely different. So I think there will be a lot of positives with it. I do think it would take a lot of adjusting. Um, but teams are pretty quick at adjusting. And we'd basically just see what they're doing and, and copy them. So... It would be fine there, for us. There's no way the BA 500 would be the BA 500. No, it'd be like if the BA 620 players being yeah. drafted. We'd probably go to 750 or, or you know, because again, I'm impressed that you pegged it to 620 because I was actually just like panning out the the draft order, and I think the exact number for 20 rounds is 611. So you were close right there. I've given thought to this, <laughs> although yeah. that is just this year, and I, I know. If I mean, again, well, that's why I said 620. So but you know, there the reality is, is that you would want to go a little bit beyond that. Yeah to try to have that glorious year where you end up having 95% of the draft. That would be awesome. Covered. You go to the BA 1000 to get to that point yeah. or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, you've already been out a good bit. Um, before we dive in, we've got a lot of questions. This is going to be kind of a draft mailbag. But before we get to there, I, I'm going to throw a loaded question at you. Let's we do are, it. We are two weeks into the D1 college season. Really, two weeks. High schools, like, are just, besides Florida, they're just getting going. Mm -hmm. Florida and California have been going a little bit, but yeah. Texas is just getting going. Uh, and if you're sitting there with, you know, in, in New York State or whatever, yeah. you're we'll like, see in April. yeah, we're not <laughs> anywhere close. Who's someone to you who has already cr started creeping up the board? Creeping up the board. Okay, or that's climbing, a good one. or I leaping. Think, I think one of the, one, one of the guys who's interesting... Yet is Bobby Miller at Louisville. Uh, he's a guy who we had in the top 100 early on, but I heard, some, I heard some reports of what he was this past weekend, so we're recording on Wednesday today. So la last Saturday, 
He was exceptional. I know JJ has been grinding film. He is basically our video scout for the draft at this point. So anytime I tell him that a guy was good, he's got the DVR ready to go in the morning when I walk in the office. So that's great. But I mean, this, I feel like we're going to have a ton of arms like this who we kind of had in that second or third round range entering the season who are doing all the right things uh, throughout the spring to kind of boost their stock and push them into first round range. I, I talked with a guy who thought on this occasion he looked like a top 10 kind of prospect. Now, he's going to have to keep doing that to, to actually reach that status. We've already moved him up the list on our, on our running list, and we're going to be expanding and updating the draft lists at some point early in March. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But I think Bobby Miller is a guy who's kind of creeping up. There are a number of guys who are moving up. Um, but he's one that just jumps out to me just because the stuff, the physicality, the performance that he's starting to kind of build is exceptional. Is it fair to say really what it comes down with him is, is the way he looked mm -hmm. on Saturday. If he just basically, the, the reason when we say he's creeping up right now really comes down to, okay, now show that that is, it's one thing to do that for a week. Yeah. And now doing that for a week is significant because doing that for a week shows that you can do that. Mm -hmm. like there, you have that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But now the big thing is, is, okay, can you do that consistently? Yeah, I think so. And I think for him, his results haven't been as dominant as his stuff would suggest previously. And I think part, part of that is just the control has been a little bit fringy. Um, in this outing that we're talking about, it was above average uh, in the reports that I got. I obviously wasn't there, so I didn't see it with my own eyes, but I mean, the scouts know better than me anyway, so who are we kidding? Um, but if he kind of continues to take steps with his command and, and doesn't walk a ton of batters and, and keeps it up throughout the spring, I think those are, those are what you're looking for with him. Just basically the strike throwing, that's what I'd look out for. But man, there's a ton of pitching in this class. I know we keep talking about it, but it seems every single time I talk to a scout or go to a field, there's a pitcher who impresses me um, who either I've never heard of before or it's a guy who we're aware of, but it's just kind of taking his taking it to the next level. Oh. There was a guy, I went to go see Emerson Hancock, uh, and the guy who relieved him was more impressive, Ryan Webb. I think he's a guy who's getting a lot of attention in Georgia right now. A reliever for, for the Georgia squad that has a ton of pitching depth, but there's a chance he could be a starter. He's climbing up the board. Um, we got... We got some pop-up high school guys who are getting a ton of attention already this spring in Texas and California. That's probably where it's always going to be this time of year. But Hunter they're Barnhart, not popping up in uh, in, in uh, you know. No, New York guys aren't popping Maine. up just yet. No, but uh, Hunter Barnhart is a guy who, in at first, I was kind of kicking myself for not putting Hunter Barnhart on our sleeper list. But I think we had him pegged too high initially for him to count as a sleeper. So I, I guess I kind of feel good about that one. But Barnhart is a, is a SoCal pitcher committed to Arizona State. He's a guy who was a polished high school arm, clean strikes, clean delivery, and he had solid stuff. Uh, but we're getting reports now that his fastball has been up into the mid-90s with a hammer-breaking ball, a future-plus pitch. He's a guy who's on the rise. There's another pitcher. I, I, I'm going to throw out one for oh, you. Go ahead. Uh, Christian Roa at, at Texas A&M. Like, yeah. If you're coming in, teams are coming in all the time to uh, – to basically see, uh, you know, Asa Lacey, who you have mm -hmm. to see because he's one of the best guys in the class. Yeah. Stick around because uh, Christian Roa in two starts so far, mm -hmm. it, it's not just the 22 to 1. That's 22 to 1 strikeout to walk in 11 innings. But on top of that, it is a really good changeup. Mm -hmm. It's been a low to mid 90s fastball, two breaking balls, control. I mean, exactly, really above that, well above average mm -hmm. control so far. It's everything you're looking for. 
So it's not, you know, Texas A&M is not like it, it's not a one team, you know, no one doubt. ace team, it may be a two ace team. And I think that's, that's an interesting concept that we're probably going to get into with some of the questions that you guys had for us, but that kind of magnet effect that some of these big prospects have on their teammates, I think you're seeing that raise the stock of, of their teammates when you're performing. There are a number of different players that, that we'll get into who are getting attention because their teammates are first round caliber players entering the season. And if you perform with a crowd like that, with high-level decision makers there, your stock's going to go up as well. We see that happen every year, um, and it looks like there's a halo again. effect. Exactly. I so. mean, the reality of it is, is, is that again, it is nowadays. It is more difficult to not be noticed than it ever was before mm -hmm. because there's so much out there like social media different data points you can use people can get their own track man data that you can right track man data yeah but also i mean on top of that the, the amount of teams that are on tv like okay yeah everyone now every major league club also has people whose job it is to basically be grabbing this mm -hmm. video things like that which does make a difference because again i'm really old now <laughs> and there was a time where you'd hear about a guy and they were, they were not, they, you had to construct. I mean, when we talk about comps mm -hmm. and like, well, where did comps come from? Comps came from a time where Scout would be talking about a player to someone who had never seen him mm -hmm. and was not going to have an easy way to get a visual representation of him. Yeah. So you would say like, well, it's this kind of, it's a kind of a comp is like, think of him like this. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, that gives me a visual image of what the body looks like and yeah. what his delivery looks like and all that. Now... You just you go, made an excellent argument to get rid of comps, JJ. I love it. Yes, you now you just go click. Okay, that's what he looks like. Yeah. I, as you said, like I, when, when I'm sitting in the office, and again, I'm not our main draft guy, but and I also have two small children, <laughs> relatively small children still. I don't get out to the field every day. Yeah. But at the same time, what's great now is is I can still like I mean, I can on on any given day I can watch multiple guys who are worth watching on with a good center field camera, just to at least get a, a visual yeah, picture. No doubt. This is what this guy looks like. Yeah, and I love absolutely. It. It's awesome. You know, but we're going to dive into your questions. Before we do that, though, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back. And we put out a call for questions. We wanted to hear what you all uh, wanted to know. And we got a lot of good questions back. Yeah. So thank, thank you. Thank you guys everyone. for sending that. That just gets us more excited when you guys are as excited about the draft as we are. So thank you. Because we are excited. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much excited about this 365. Yeah. But, so I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with a draft question that's not about this draft in some ways. Well, let's do which it. Which is... Well, I know where you're going. This, this got to be your favorite player in the country right now, right, JJ? He's one of. <laughs> but uh, all things D Detroit sports, D-E-T uh, sports uh, on Twitter asks, if Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt was eligible for this year's draft, where would he rank among the other top prospects in this year's draft? Which we will start with saying... Jack Leiter not eligible in this year's draft, although he is eligible for the 2021. Yep, he will be a draft-eligible sophomore. Yeah, so we have him currently ranked right behind Kumar Rocker in that 2021 pitching class. And I mean, so so the top two pitchers that we have for that class, <laughs> pretty good for that program. Are Vanderbilt? Vandy. They do a pretty good job with the pitchers. Uh, if you I mean, again, noticed. that's why he's starting. He's a he is right now. Jack Leiter is a Tuesday starter. Yeah, imagine having it that won't guy like going. it will not be that way for long. But unbelievable. But by the way, and Kumar Rocker is a Saturday starter mm -hmm. right now because uh, yeah, that's that's not an uneven matchup for yeah pretty much anyone that they face. Yeah, the wealth of pitching that there is just insane. And I got some flack on 
uh, Twitter, I think, for saying that like Vandy is spoiled with uh, the Kumar Rockers and the Jack Lighters of the world. D definitely don't mean they don't deserve them. It's just they're so good. But kind of getting into Lighter, he's a guy who we had as a first-round talent coming out of high school. And I think if you throw away signing bonus demands uh, and the desire to go to school, he would have easily gone in the first round. He would have gone right around where Quinn Priester, uh, Daniel Espino, those guys are going kind of the middle of the first and into the second. But I mean, he's only going to elevate his stock if he stays healthy and kind of dominates in the SEC. Well, the thing I thought that I thought about him last year in the draft is, is if you mm -hmm. compare him to those guys, would it be fair to say that he was more polished, probably a safer bet than those guys? Yeah. But uh, really, the it's just the the limiting factor. the The limiting factor is that if you're comparing him to those guys, is is Maybe they're taller. Mm -hmm. may, you know, they're, they're, they have yeah. maybe a little more projectability. I think that's spot on. I think that what separates Lighter from the Matthew Allens, the Brennan Malones, the Daniel Espinos, even the Quinn Priesters, all those guys had a physicality that I don't think Lighter had at the time. Um, and their stuff at the top end, I think, was a little bit better. Now, you look at their cur the curveball. I mean, Jack Lighter's curveball stacks up with any of those guys, I think. Um, we got really good reports on it. It was really good last year, and it's been really good this year. I think the physicality was probably the biggest question because he was a very advanced strike thrower. He had great command for a prep arm, um, and that's probably to be expected considering and his bloodlines. And he can spin it like his dad can. So I think the only question with him as far as his, his tool set and his ability was just the physicality. Um, small right-handers out of high school is a little bit risky, uh, and I've talked to some teams who, if they're taking a guy that's that, in that kind of demographic, they want a, a physical, kind of imposing, pro-ready body. Um, but if he's going to go handle his innings at Vanderbilt for two years, those questions are going to kind of subside a little bit. Right. If he does this in the SEC, this is one of those decisions where, like, him going, he is absolutely the kind of guy, and anyone is taking some sort of risk if you're a potential first-round pick and going yeah. to college. Anyone. Anyone. But if you're him... You can answer some of the questions because this, if he has the same body, in essence, coming out of college, but he's had two years of success mm -hmm. pitching for a prominent top program in the country, a lot of those concerns kind of start to filter away a little mm -hmm. bit because you're, you're kind of at that point viewing him as you're not really as worried about, okay, what is this going to mean eight years down the road? Yeah. You're looking at it and saying, okay, what is this going to mean two to three years from now when we expect him to be in the big leagues? Mm -hmm. Well, I think a good comparison and a guy we can kind of point to in this year's draft class is JT Ginn. I mean, he was a high school kid who was undersized in the sense that he wasn't the tallest. I think he was a little more stout than Leiter is or was in high school. Yeah, um, definitely stouter, I'd say. Yeah, he's stronger. He had a stronger build. Uh, but he was a high school first-round pick. The Dodgers actually took him there. He didn't sign. But the risk you run into is what Ginn is kind of facing right now is the chance for injury for any pitcher is obviously very high. Ginn had a phenomenal freshman year and showed that he had a chance to start. I think there were some questions uh, that, that he might wind up being a reliever, but a guy who goes in the first to a team like the Dodgers, I imagine they were pretty confident that he was gonna start in the first place. But he answered some of those questions uh, as a freshman, but you run the risk of kind of dealing with injuries. And if this turns into anything serious for Ginn, you, you run the chance of not getting drafted that high again and losing out on some money. So. But again, it always is a tough decision to, to kind of pass up the draft. 
um, because of the risk with that, but there's a lot of opportunity as well. But so that's, it's a, kind of, that's another good, there's another good comparison here that is useful for both of them, which mm -hmm. is, is that I think that decision becomes a little easier if you are a draft, draft eligible, eligible sophomore. sophomore. Yep, no doubt. Okay. Because no doubt. Like, let's take again as example. Mm -hmm. We're not reporting anything here. We're not even speculating. I'm just laying out, let's say hypothetically, if JT Ginn did not pitch again the rest of this yeah, year. Yeah, just for, if you guys hadn't, didn't know, he's just dealing with some arm soreness and, and didn't pitch last weekend. So that's just what two weekends in a row now yeah. that basically he's out. Yeah. You know, so, and again, we do not know. Sometimes that ends up being minor. Sometimes it is not. You know, yeah. you, we do not know. We are not reporting anything here. Let me make that clear. <laughs> However, let's say if he was out, you know, with a significant injury, well, he's a draft eligible sophomore. Not only so he can return, mm -hmm. he can he doesn't have to say, okay, I'm while I am coming off of a year that adds to questions about me, yeah. I need to sign. Exactly. He can go back next year, but not only can he go back next year, he was if if that happened, he would miss basically this year and not that he's gonna use his red shirt year. Mm -hmm. However, from that process, he would be a red shirt sophomore next year. Mm -hmm which means he is draft eligible next year. Yeah, he just has a lot the more leverage. The year after that, and the year after that, so he still has sophomore leverage next year. Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about being a draft eligible sophomore is you just have the opportunity to kind of not worry about the draft, just go out there and play, and then you'll have a lot more leverage than the typical college player going this high in the draft because if you come back next year, you still have that senior status to, to kind of give you some leverage in the draft. So it's all about leverage for these guys. Um, and we do have a lot of draft eligible sophomores in this year's class, so. I mean. Go read about, we wrote about that a couple of weeks ago in our draft stock watch series that comes out every Tuesday. So if you want more info on that, check that I, out. I was gonna say, I, and I'm gonna put in a plug, yes, please do check out, uh, you know, Carlos spends a lot of time on those. They're and, fun. Uh, and I, I really enjoy reading them myself, but I think that you will well, too. thank you. Um, so uh, we have another question here. Uh, Amit Sangvi asks, uh, does Justin Foscue go in the top 30? If not, how far will he fall? Good fit for the Tigers question. And I will I'll answer the second part of that first, which is, is that <laughs> there are no fits yet. Yeah. You know, we are way too far out to have, I mean, yes, when, okay, and I will say check out our mock draft. We have several of them. We do have but, a mock draft. But when we do that, a mock draft at this point, we are not in any way saying this team is interested mm -hmm. in this player. We are saying this player fits in this range no doubt and may fit with this team no doubt it's Two a little too things. early to kind of tie especially once you get past like the top five yeah those team anyone outside of the top five at this point they're just checking all their boxes and making sure that everyone is covered that fits in that range because they have no idea who's going to be available to them just yet and it's a little too early for that that's why well, last our last mock we had a, a scout to kind of make picks with me and basically we were thinking like, oh, which players make sense here given the information that we have now. And that was a really fun process. But as far as Foskey is concerned, I think there are definitely a few teams who are really high on him uh, and like his bat a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go in the top 30. Is that what the question was, in the yeah. top 30? Yeah. We have him just outside of that range right now, um, kind of in that 34 to 38 range. You can check which... out our draft rankings if you want. But so, so in the sense of like, does he fit for the Tigers? I think where we have him now, yeah, sure. He fits there in that range. But I do think there are a few teams who are really high on his bat. He's an offensive-oriented second baseman. Might be a third baseman. Second base is probably his best fit. He's got a lot of power. Um, so I could easily see that bat sliding into the middle of the first round, kind of last third of the first round, just because 
the track record of his hitting ability, his power potential, what he did with Team USA. There were a lot of scouts who came away from his summer. I don't think his numbers were exceptional, uh, but I remember just talking with scouts who were really impressed with his overall offensive profile. Um, and those bats tend to rise if they perform. So if he gets into SEC play and just keeps hitting, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. For him I was just saying, so what 30. is, yeah, like when you say like a to-do list for a guy like that, what is going to be the difference? Really, I mean, it's not just, but a lot of it at this point is, I mean, it's, it's production at this point. I mean, again, if he's, there's selection, there's a lot, there's more to it than that. There's selectivity, there's, you know, you don't want to see mm-hmm. the swing fall apart. Yeah. But for him, I think there are a number of different things that, that he could do. I mean, the defense was never great with him. So if he were to improve his athleticism, improve the, the defensive ability, I think that would go a long way. One of the things that I noticed with him over the summer, and I talked to a few scouts about this as well, is that he tends to get a little bit pull happy. Um, he really likes to turn on the ball. He's got a pretty big leg kick. Um, so if he can show the ability to kind of drive the ball um, to all fields, cut down on the strikeouts a little bit, um, and just continue hitting for power. I mean, he does have a good hitting track record already, so there are not any huge flaws in his game. That's why we have him ranked where we do right now. Um, but I think kind of answering any questions about his defensive limitations would help uh, just kind of ease the burden that his bat would need to carry to be a first-round draft selection. Because if you are if you have any reservation about his defensive ability, you have to be really convicted in the bat. So kind of just giving yourself a little bit more leeway, I would say, in improving the supplemental Supplemental tools in your game would, would go a long way for anyone, including okay. Mason. We, we, Twitter followers and, and readers love Nick Gonzalez. So yes, we got a, as a, they should. A, as they should. So as a, we have a couple of questions with that. We have Scott, who's at Field of Dreams 81, asks, does Nick Gonzalez offer more upside than Spencer T? I will translate that for you listeners out of Spencer Torkelson. <laughs> uh, assuming that Nick Gonzalez stays in the middle infield. He played... He has been playing shortstop primarily, which is not because he, it's not significant, I would say, because he, he, that means he's going to be a shortstop mm-hmm. in the major leagues. But it is significant because it's giving a, a very good chance to see kind of yeah. him stretch defensively. Exactly. This is kind of what I wanted to see with Austin Martin at Vanderbilt, but they've got a good young shortstop in Carter Young. So uh, I guess we're just bummed out there. But Nick Gonzalez playing short, that one was a little bit honestly surprising. Maybe I should have expected them to do that because it does give him a lot of opportunity to kind of, like we're saying, improve the the evaluations of your defensive skill. Um, Prior to this season, uh, he was kind of a bat first, second baseman. Um, He made all the routine plays again, had a perfectly fine arm, but he was never a guy who who scouts were talking to me as like a potential gold glover at second base. Um, I'm very curious to kind of get more in-depth feedback on his shortstop. At this point, I haven't talked to too many guys who have seen him. I talked to a guy who'd seen video, and he said he was impressed with the actions and thought he had enough arm for the position, but I'm looking to kind of dig in a little bit more on that. But as far as upside relative to Spencer Torkelson, I think, yes, if we're looking at like pure ceiling, it's hard for me to not go with the guy who is arguably the best hitter in the class. I think when you're talking about best hitters in the class, I think it's three people. I think it's Austin Martin with Vanderbilt, Spencer Torkelson with Arizona State, and Nick Gonzalez with New Mexico State. Um, Gonzalez is the guy who got the vote from scouting directors on our preseason All-America teams, and that goes a long way for me. And when you're looking at a guy who has, I think, a 74 or 75 uh, on-base streak dating back to his freshman season, I don't care where you're playing. That's incredibly impressive to me. And I know every single question we've got about Nick Gonzalez this spring is, what about the power? He's hitting at New Mexico State. He's hitting at elevation. Is the power legit? Is the power legit? Guys, the power is legit. He went into the Cape and hit with Wood against some of the better pitchers 
in the country and he hit seven home runs and he looked like a dude. He's a dude. And, he and again, that, that's so important of this yes. is that he has, this could have gone two very different ways. Mm -hmm. If Nick Gonzalez had gone to the Cape last summer and hit 210 without power, then could have gone the could, Logan Davidson route. He could have lit the world on fire at New Mexico State, and there would at least be that nagging doubt in the back of the head of, oh, I saw him with Wood last summer. He didn't do this mm -hmm. against better competition at lower elevation. Yeah. This is exactly what Logan Davidson battled. I mean, he was a guy who produced in the ACC, not even to the level that Gonzalez has produced um, with New Mexico State, but. He went to the Cape and he struggled and people wondered how his hit tool and his power combination were going to translate to pro ball with wood bats and Nick answered those questions. There are very few questions about Gonzalez right now, I think kind of solidifying. And even if the thing is, even if he is a second baseman, his bat and his power potential is still special enough that I think he's close to a lock and I don't ever want to put like, we still have the key here so we can unlock it, I guess, but it's, he's really close to a lock to go in the top five based on Every conversation I've had, and I've talked with scouts recently who wouldn't be surprised if he went number two. Now, I know people are going to ask, can he go number one? I would be a little hesitant just because that profile in general is a tough ask for 1-1. Kind of the same thing with Spencer Torkelson, which you've written about previously. And I think just in general, the industry would probably rather go with a shortstop or an up-the-middle outfielder or college arm at that spot with this class when we have those options. But, man, he offers a ton of upside. Yeah, so I, I think just because of the defensive, the defensive value he can give you while still bringing a very special bat to the table, I think it's higher than Spencer Torkelson. Is Keston Hira uh, like? I mean, I like that one. I think it's good. I, I've people have thrown out Dustin Pedroia, and I think that one's also interesting just because they're similar size-wise. I think their tools are a little bit different. I think at the time Pedroia was faster. He probably had he had a longer track record of kind of proving the hit tool and the zone discipline against better college competition. Um, but I like that one just because of the size and, and how unique the bat is. Um, but yeah, Hira is a good one as well because he had similar questions about his defense, except more so because he wasn't throwing a baseball at the time and he was still a top 10 pick. So Gonzalez is going to be just fine and he's going to go off the board really quick. So the one, I, we don't have to go too much on this one, but I will also ask uh, Cody, Cody at Cody Storm Panic asks, how likely are the Royals to take Nick Gonzalez? And what would pairing him in the middle infield with Bobby Witt Jr. mean for the farm system in the future? It would mean their farm system just got better, just <laughs> off rip. A lot. <laughs> so, again, I, mean, they, I mean, their farm system is going to get better regardless of who they take because they're going to get an impact player at that spot no matter who it is. So just bank on that. But I don't know. At this point, the Royals might not have a shot at getting him. Like, he, if he was gone before the Royals picked, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I would love that pick for them. They are going to be in a cool position because... They, will, they should be able to choose between an impact bat and an impact arm regardless of what happens in front of them. Um, and just based on what they've done previously, I know they took Bobby Witt last year with the first pick, which I loved, uh, but they've taken a lot of arms. So if they think they want to kind of pivot to a bat or if just a bat is the best player available, which it easily could well, be, I mean, I think that's fine. I will say this. Having covered the Royals for yeah. a long, long time, like I mean, basically since when they when they drafted Mike Montgomery and before that, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that they did, which again, it's a lot of the same people there. One of the things that they did when they had kind of that group that they brought up, the the group that all percolated in like eleven, mm -hmm. twelve, that made it to the big leagues and all that, they tried to draft some college guys to match up to basically 
to match up time development wise mm -hmm. with some of the high school guys that they had <coughs> that they Excuse had uh, that they, they drafted previously, drafted, yeah, drafted previously. So they all arrived together. Now it didn't all work out perfectly. Christian mm -hmm. Colon did not end up being. They didn't go 100% of the draft. What? You know, but 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 what I'm saying though is is that if you look at this Royals team, mm -hmm. like again, I'm not saying Nick Gonzalez is going to be there, but if he was, Nick Gonzalez is going to be big league ready on the schedule or ahead of the schedule of Bobby Witt Jr., even though oh, yeah. he drafted later. For sure. He would be coming up not long after the Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, you know, Jackson Coar. We could keep going, the, all those arms. Mm -hmm. Now, we, there's juries some, somewhat out on which of these high school guys that they drafted who all had struggles in Wilmington, but the MJ Melendezes and the uh, Prados and all of the world, yeah. they're headed, you know, he... He would match up. A college bat there would match up yeah. very well for him. And I think regardless, like at this point, it would be hard for me to see a high school player sneaking that high. I think I think the college is kind of the currency in those top five because picks right now. Because you just right have now. so many good, productive, yeah, exactly. toolsy I mean, college guys. Absolutely. I mean, the top of this class right now is heavy on the college side. Um, and, and how would a college, I mean, really, how would a high school guy? Because this is not a high school. So the guy, the one guy who has a shot for me is Zach Veen. At this point, obviously, there could be a guy who pops up. Like you said, the high school season, we're kind of just getting rolling. I mean, Zach Veen is a guy who, and, and I think we got this question before. Someone, I think someone might have asked who has the highest ceiling. Um, maybe that was just limited to Nick Gonzalez. But Zach Veen is a guy who has tremendous upside. I mean, we've covered him pretty extensively, I would say, given the, the time we're in in the draft process right now. But Yes, I think you, know, you, you did a... Uh, I got to see him the first, basically my first trip was to see Zach Veen. Bestballamerica.com, check it out. Yeah, check out. We've got a feature on him. We've got a breakdown of how he looked in that event. But the power is improved. He's a guy who gets Christian Yelich comps because of his frame, Cody Bellinger comps because of his swing. <laughs> He's got potential 60 or, if you really like it, 70 future power. He's a guy who has some of the best plate discipline um, in the class. He's a very polished hitter. There's some swing and miss I think he's going to need to refine. Um, but he's a guy who could be an impact, like 60 bat, 70 power corner outfielder. I mean, that's a superstar. And if you're convicted in the hit tool, I mean, he's a guy who I think could make sense, but still I think some the, the safety of some of these college guys who, who still have upside of their own, I think inevitably will probably be too much, but we're hearing that Zach Bean's not going to fall to the top 15, um, and I would expect him to go in that range. But again, we'd bank on it being pretty college heavy. I think our last mock had one high school player in the top 10. That's, that, that's extreme. And again, the thing also that we don't have as much this year is, is like if you took, I'll ask a question that the follow-up questions people might ask hearing this. Yeah. If you took last year's high school class where you had a Bobby Witt Jr., mm -hmm. a C.J. Abrams, a Riley Green, and you put it in this one, well, then the... Yeah, I think the top end of the high school class last year is stronger than this year. I because think again, fair. then you have the, 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 the hitters who can mm -hmm. play shortstop and, and I was talking with a couple a couple high level scouts who who talk about you talk about the shortstop area that is kind of the that is the money of the high school class you want to get toolsy shortstops and this class really doesn't have that much Ed Howard is the top shortstop in the prep class for us and he's a guy who has significantly more questions about his offensive profile than did C J Abrams or Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, it's a lot more projecting you have to do than you had to do with either of those guys so I think it just lends itself to a much more college-heavy draft. And, and the college class is very good. So it's not like it's college-heavy because 
the high school is lacking. It's just the top end isn't as strong and the college class is very strong. Again, the, the, the top end college pitchers in this class also are just at a different level than the top end college pitchers in last yeah, year. Yeah, in, in general, this draft is better. I think you could argue that the top three or four players last year are better than the top. I was going to say that, three that, or four, the, the that top of that class. That could be really your special. argument, and I, that, that would be fine. I think that's a perfectly solid argument to make. But I really like a lot of the guys at the top of this class, too. So, Carl T, Carl JT31 asks Top prospects coming out of New York besides Alex Santos? This is a good one. I think you definitely have identified Santos as the top guy. I mean, he, he is a projection high school arm, has potential plus fastball, plus curveball. Um, it's not a great year for the Northeast, but there are a couple more interesting arms. Another prep guy out of New York is Jason Savakul. We have him in the top 100 right now. Um, the stuff hasn't been quite as loud as Santos, but again, a guy with a good body uh, and some projection. After that, it really falls off quite a bit. Um, there are some interesting guys at St. John's, like a Jose Rodriguez. Uh, Fordham has an interesting left-hander named Matt Mikulski. These are guys who we've had like initial conversations with scouts about, and, and there's some intrigue here. But I don't think they're going to be guys who are going to be much of a factor on day one. Uh, they're kind of deeper draft plays. Johnny Castagnazzi is an interesting shortstop uh, out of New York as well. Um, but yeah, there's not a ton, I would say, in this year's class for the Northeast in general. In New York, the two guys you, you definitely need to know are Santos and Savicool. Okay. Next one is Owen at Country Roads 277 who asks... I got to uh, hang out with Owen at, at UNC game this week. Thanks for sending a question, Owen. How much has Bryce Jarvis improved his stock since the end of last season? How much will he rise in your next set of rankings? If you're listening to this and you're going Bryce Jarvis, Bryce Jarvis uh, was very prominent this week because Bryce Jarvis went out on Friday for Duke mm -hmm. and threw the first perfect game in Duke baseball history. That's Yeah, I was kicking myself a little bit for this one because we could have gone to see Bryce, but when they banged some games for snow, uh, I figured the best play for me was going to be to kind of watch games uh, online and just flip through and see a lot of games. And I talked to a couple of scouts who were also bummed that they, they did similar stuff that day. But, I mean, a perfect game is going to raise your stock. I know it was against Cornell, and people are going to per wonder about the competition, but... Performance... Uh, performance when, matters. Especially at a college side. And I asked some scouts how the stuff was that day, and they all said it was pretty good. Since last... I think last summer, he really got uh, into the gym and, and kind of refined his body and got stronger, and the stuff has ticked up. So I think even outside of that perfect game, he's trending in the right direction. He's throwing harder. The off-speed has always been pretty good for him. Uh, and he has a good track record of missing bats. Now that he's more in that kind of mid-90s range, he was up to 96, I believe, last fall. And I think he's kind of still got the stuff in that range. Um, if he keeps perform, he's not going to throw a perfect game every day. He's not going to throw a perfect game again. <laughs> no. Sorry, we're not banking okay. on that. But like, I'm if go he keeps playing I, well. I, I, I'm going to make a confident prediction. Do it. Nothing against Bryce Jarvis. What are your odds on he this? He is one? not going to throw <laughs> a perfect game. This yeah, he's not going to be perfect games every week. But no, I think this stuff has gotten better, and I think his stock is trending up. He's a guy who, I think we had him just inside the top 200, which I feel good about, and he's probably a guy who could push closer to 100 uh, as he kind of continues to perform this spring. So that's, you know, that's... Uh, there are a lot of good prospects around here, JJ. It's nice. It it is nice. I, I did want to ask you if like that with that. Like I mean, mm -hmm. so what's what's kind of on the docket for you? Uh, you know, this weekend. Where for where me, East Carolina has a good little tournament. They're gonna have Ole Miss coming in. Keith LeClaire uh, Invitational, correct? Yes, they're gonna have some good prospects in. There's a shortstop for Ole Miss, uh, Anthony Servietto, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Who's interesting to me. He's hit really well. 
Uh, and he's a guy who, who we've heard is a really good defender, a shortstop, good runner. Uh, and now if he's putting the bat into, into the equation, he's a guy who could rise. So I'm, I'm interested to see them. East Carolina always has prospects. They've got some good guys this year. Alec Burleson is an interesting guy, a two-way guy in college who was on uh, Team USA's college national team. He's interesting. Uh, and there's a team that I haven't mentioned that's, oh, Indiana's going to have some guys too that'll be interesting to see. So I'll be around local um, this weekend in Greenville. And I think coming up here soon, I want to run down to South Carolina and see Carmen Majinski, who is a potential top 10 arm, who he's gotten some, some pretty good heat on early this spring. And then I think in a couple weeks, there's also a Vanderbilt, Tennessee series. And hopefully we can get a Garrett Crochet uh, arm going that weekend. That, that, that I was going to say that if you said the other thing that has happened so far, when we talk about this class, there's always going to be guys who, you know, every draft class, there are guys who miss time. There are, end up being always every class, there are guys who miss the year. Mm -hmm. I would say right now, and help me if I'm missing one, Garrett Crochet, JT Ginn are the most significant prospects who are currently on the shelf. Yeah, I think I would add Dax Fulton to that, but he's yep. a prep guy who's it's kind of been, we've known that for a long time. He's the other one. Um, yeah, just kind of going through the list, I think those are the two. I mean, Dax Fulton was a guy who could have been in the first round, but his injury is going to probably prevent that. But yeah, I always hate when guys go down. It happens every year, and you kind of can't do anything about it, which is um, the sad part about pitching. It's just the injury risk is so high. But I think those are the two. Um, but as far as the industry is concerned, there's so much pitching depth that, like if this happened last year with the top couple arms dealing with injuries, like gnashing of teeth, you already have one of the worst pitching classes of all time. Imagine, I mean, you could have got no pitcher taken in the top 10 if a couple injuries went the wrong way. But yeah, hopefully everyone can stay healthy out there. Yes. So there is a, uh, a lot that is going to happen coming forward. There's a lot that is going to change between now and... Uh, and June in Omaha. Yeah, I think, honestly, this is my third uh, year doing the draft kind of solo. Uh, Hudson Belinsky was doing it in 2017. Um, but you were here. Helping. I was here. I was kind of around kind of figuring it out. But I think this is going to be the most challenging draft to kind of piece together as far as the mock's concerned, just because the depth is so good. I feel like the last two years we've had a pretty clear... Um, a clear order for the top guys, and that's made things a little bit easier. Now, maybe that uh, last year, that's something that kind of clarified itself. Um, I think uh, the year prior when Casey Mize, he kind of established himself as the one. But it's going to be really interesting because I feel like there are a lot of guys, once you get outside of the top five or six, I think there are a lot of really exciting talents who kind of blend together pretty close. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how these guys line themselves up because there's still a lot of room for movement on, on draft boards. It's, it's a lot that is going to happen, a lot that already has happened, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but it's what makes it fun. No I, the, the, again, the, the thing that is, the, you have to enjoy, uh, we've had this conversation, you have to enjoy the process of this. Uh, the process is the best part. Mm -hmm. You really do. Yeah. If, you're not, if, you, if you don't, and again, we say that because if you're listening to this, you probably enjoy it too, which mm -hmm. is, is that every year, there are literally hundreds of players whose lifelong dream is either going to be fulfilled or they're going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is, is that what is fascinating every year is seeing it come together. Absolutely. 
you know, because the, it does not get repetitive. Every no. year is different. Yep. Every year, your your every year unfolds its own way, and this year is unfolding that it could be really good. Absolutely. I mean, this year again, we're not. We're saying that like last year was a very top-heavy class, and after that, it was like there was a class that if you weren't drafting top five, mm. yeah, you didn't really want to draft ten. A lot of underslot deals in the first round last year. I think this year we might have a couple more overslot deals. This year, <laughs> you want to draft top five. It's a really good top five. But you yeah. know what? If you're drafting ten, you're gonna be really happy yeah. with what's on the board when you draft ten. Absolutely. So. There's plenty of depth. It's gonna be fun, and yeah. and we're having a blast covering it. I'm having a blast covering it. I know JJ. You love diving into draft season. I, love I can see draft that. Season. I can see the spark in your eyes when you come in, and you've had some draft conversations. It's awesome. Yeah, and again, like I mean, the thing that's also, uh, I started at Baseball America in '02. In '02, watching college games was like, hey, there's a college game on this week. <laughs> that was an exciting thing. Like, that's crazy. Oh, I got to make sure that I watch it. Because... Us millennials are spoiled. That's and now it's about. like, okay, uh, I got to wait till five thirty to see Jack Leiter pitch on Tuesday night. <laughs> oh man, I wish that was a four o'clock game. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yes, we're all spoiled. You know, it's not just you millennials, us Gen Xers too. But we do. If you do enjoy this, please do go to baseballamerica.com. Check out you know the draft button on there. You will have a a never-ending stream of content to uh, to enjoy. We have a lot more coming. As Carlos said, we're not that far away from doing some updates and, and tweaks of mm -hmm. the uh, of the rankings. Yeah, and if you, and if you guys are interested in the draft process, we're gonna have. I mean, again, weekly, every Tuesday, we'll have Draft Stock Watch, and whether we're diving into a different theme that's interesting, um, just as far as looking big picture, like demographic kind of stuff, or just player movement, who's rising, who's falling, you can kind of follow the pulse of the draft through that feature. I kind of wanted to do something to allow you guys to more easily see that, because in previous years, we've had a lot of information kind of inside and, and, and on our database that I really kind of wanted to make that more public-facing so you guys could kind of see how the draft um, develops and hopefully you can get that from that piece. So that's every Tuesday. And, and then that's just as that every Tuesday, but you've got regular mock drafts coming out. Regular mocks. We're doing more chats last year and, or more chats than we did in previous years, whether that's on the website, uh, kind of text-based like or podcast. Yeah. I love talking draft with JJ. And if I, you guys. I enjoyed, I, again, we're going to do several of these. We, yeah. This is not going to be a one time. This is a good way for us to also answer questions and kind of dive into it. Yeah, know, and, and, and it's. I feel like you also can you can learn things just by having conversations and talking through it with people. You you hear something that you haven't heard from that perspective before. Someone brings up a point that maybe you hadn't considered, and it kind of makes you think through it on the fly, and it's fun. So you know. So for Carlos, I'm JJ. Thank you for the download. Thank you if you subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast uh, listening device is, and if you could, you know, we always appreciate if you would. Leave a review for us on uh, iTunes, especially iTunes. That I'm not, I'm an Android guy, but the review on iTunes seems to make more be more important than leaving a uh, wow. review on Google Play. Power of Apple. You know, sorry <laughs> to say that, but for Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.